0: This morning, we're continuing. uh, We're actually in our second to last week in the sermon series we've been in for a little while now that we're calling Letters to Friends. It's a series where we've been walking through Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica. And it is a letter of incredible encouragement to Paul, or from Paul, to these dear friends of his, this church that he had started and then had to quickly leave because he was run out of town. And so he writes to them desiring to encourage them to stand firm in the faith and to keep growing in love for God and love for one another. And through the course of the letter, Paul moves from general statements of encouragement and mutual love, and he moves to addressing very specific topics. And so last week, we looked at the end of chapter 4 where Paul addresses the question of what happens to those who die in the Lord. And he affirms and encourages them that they are in the loving care of God until the great day of the Lord when Jesus will come again, the great and beautiful king of the universe, the king of life will come where heaven and earth will meet and God will make all things right. Last week, he was encouraging them particularly about those who have already passed in the Lord. And this week, As we move into chapter five, we start to look at the question that he's addressing about how do we live now as we wait? And I remember uh, when I first started driving and, you know, would have to go get oil changes in the car. And so I'd go and I'd, I'd, you know, get there and I had no idea. We had no idea how long it was going to take. And these were, you know, those days before cell phones And, you know, so there was no, you know, nobody I could talk to. I couldn't, I couldn't text. I couldn't tweet. I couldn't watch a YouTube video. I couldn't scroll Facebook endlessly for hours. There was no opportunity to get on Instagram or Snapchat. And so you basically had to figure out what to do with yourself for some unknown amount of time. Like, how did we make it? How did we live? I mean, they had these things called magazines. Magazines that sometimes you tried to flip through and you're like, wow, this is like four years old and I'm going to read every bit of it because I'm that bored. What do we do with ourselves? How do we pass the time? What do we do in the midst of the waiting? And really, that's basically the situation Paul is going to address in this part of the letter this morning. How do we live in the waiting? And so we're going to jump into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I invite you, if you'd like, you can follow along on the screen, but listen as God's Word speaks to us this morning. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray as we move into this together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can gather with the confidence that you are with us. Thank you that you promised that when your word is read, it is going to achieve the purposes that you have set out for it. We thank you for your word that speaks into the very real questions of our day-to-day lives. Thank you. And in these moments, may you speak to each of us, whatever it is that we're walking through today. Amen. So the Thessalonians are anticipating what is known as the day of the Lord or the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the day of the Lord is a concept that comes out of Judaism. It was throughout the Old Testament. It was a promised day in the future where God was going to show up. And in that day, there would be anger and judgment against and for those who oppose God, who live apart from God, who reject God. And there would be deliverance and salvation for the faithful. And so here the Thessalonians are incredibly persecuted where they've come to this faith in Jesus and as such they are now targets of hatred, animosity, and physical persecution, economic persecution. And so you can imagine that this concept, which would have been new for all of them that came not from a a Jewish background, would have been a source of incredible comfort and encouragement. That God sees their suffering. He knows. He knows the injustice that is being perpetrated against them, and he's going to do something about it. He's going to make it right. And and I'd say that's an an incredible encouragement, I think, for me, I think for us still today, that we look out on the world and we don't have to look hard to see injustice. We don't have to look hard to see that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. We don't have to look hard to look at situations where humans are capable of evil and atrocities against one another. But there's a promise that a day is coming when Jesus will return and he will in fact bring justice. It's part of why over and over again the scripture remind us Hey, you don't need to go get revenge. You don't need to go and fix it because leave that to God because he's going to come. At some point, he will make it right. And it's an incredible comfort. And man, I don't know about you, but wouldn't, wouldn't you love to see that happen sooner than later? And at the early church that Paul is writing to, they regularly were praying for that day to come with an eagerness and an anticipation that it was going to happen in their lifetime. It's what they longed for. And so they were asking Paul, "When is it going to happen? When is it going to tell us? Because we can't wait. And Paul says to them in this passage, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates. We don't need to write to you, for the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I mean, it's kind of like Paul's saying to them, hey, I've already told you this. You already know. Nobody knows when this is going to happen. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself, when he was asked the very same question, said, I don't even know. Only the Father knows when that day is. So why are you asking me? But they're wondering, because they long for this day, sure and eager that it was going to take place in their lifetime. See, they had a clear sense as they're even asking the question that life as we know it is short. Now, on one hand, they were clearly wrong because Jesus did not return in their lifetime. The day of the Lord did not happen And there's been many periods throughout history where different groups have gotten caught up and obsessed with the idea that the day of the Lord was coming and many have tried at different times to say it's gonna be here or it's gonna be here or it's gonna be here and they've clearly been wrong. But what they were right about, whether they knew it or not, was that life's short. And we don't know the days and the times of when God is going to move. And so they're asking this when, and Paul's like, hey, forget about the when. That's not the important question. The important question is, how do we live as we wait for when to come? And he's saying, hey, don't be, don't be surprised by it. Don't, get, you know, don't act like you don't know it's coming. In other words, live differently. Live as if you know it's coming. Because there's lots of folks living as if they have no idea. And he's addressing some of them. They're living with a false sense of comfort and security where they were saying, he quoted them, they're saying peace and security for everyone. Well, this was actually, Paul is railing against the entire Roman Empire because this was part of the, the slogans of the Roman Empire as it expanded and expanded and unfolded more and more peoples. They proclaimed, ah, peace and security for you. If you'll willingly submit to us, it's gonna go great, we promise There's going to be security and comfort for you. And so Paul is saying, don't get caught up in that. They they can't promise you that. They don't have that authority. It's way above their pay grade to offer you a sense of eternal and lasting security no matter what happens. And it's kind of like he's already anticipating things are going to start to get shaky even for the great and awesome Roman Empire. And so don't put your trust in them. Don't live with that false sense of security. But instead, trust that God is the one who's going to preserve you. He's the one that can give you security that lasts today and through into eternity. Don't be lulled to sleep, Paul says. In in, in other words, don't be lulled into just going along with the status quo. Letting everyone else determine what our priorities should be. That that we should all make the highest priority for ourselves. Freedom, complete freedom with no restrictions. Whatever you want. That's how it should go. Take care of yourself and your own. Let everybody else take care of themselves. No one should tell you what to do. You do whatever makes you happy as long as you're not hurting anybody else. That's the only slight caveat, but basically you should do whatever makes you happy. Paul's saying don't get caught up in this. Don't get caught up in the, the, drinking the Kool-Aid of the culture. That's passing time in the, in, the, in the waiting, just watching TV Videos, scrolling mindlessly through the internet and social media, just distracting ourselves, seeking pleasure, seeking fantasies, drunkenness he addresses directly. He's really summing all of these things up as the children who are living in the dark. They're asleep. They're numbing themselves just to get through life, ignorant that someday God is going to come. And isn't it tempting? I mean, let's get honest for a minute. Isn't it tempting to live that way at least some of the time? It just seems a lot easier. A lot easier than going against the grain. When the waiting just seems to be so much longer than we want it to be. The waiting for, for healing and wholeness. The waiting for Jesus to make it right. The waiting when we're in the midst of the storm and the trial. Just to let ourselves be distracted. When the hurt or the grief seems like too much. Numb it all. And that's the way that Paul is saying, hey, these children of the dark are living this way. Don't buy into this. That's not what is life, real life, the life God made you for. Don't buy into the vision that's being put out there that the empire would have for you that says, hey, The only thing that makes life worth living is if you climb the ladder. Oh, but to do so means, well, you better get into a good college so that you can get a good job that pays a lot of money so that you can get ahead. But to get into the good college, well, every kid better have a resume that looks like a Rhodes Scholar. And so every moment becomes so full of sports and extracurriculars and volunteering and philanthropy and of course we've got to get the good grades and so every spare moment on top of the other moments is, had better be spent studying. But to be able to compete at the highest levels when you get to high school, you had better start travel teams, you had better start you know, getting extra lessons, extra support, you better fill all the time when they're young and early or, or else they won't even have a chance. Because this is, this is the perspective that the world says this is what living life to the full is all about. And Paul's saying, hold on, don't buy into the peace and security that the empire is offering you. Because yes, sure, are any of those things bad in and of themselves? No, but if they distract us from the ultimate, the ultimate security and life in the light of Jesus Christ, then man, it's not worth living. These are ways of life disconnected from God and fixation on these things. Simply, Paul says, demonstrates an ignorance, either a not knowing that Jesus is going to come again or an ignoring, meaning willing to not care that Jesus is going to come again with his light, with his judgment. And in his judgment, those who want to live disconnected from him as if we ourselves are God or as if the empire is the source or some other source other than God is the the source of our security, our hope, our, our meaning, then he's gonna allow that and he'll bring his judgment. And Paul's saying, don't. Don't live in the dark. You're already children of the light. Live as if you are living in the light every moment until the day when the fullness of the light of Jesus Christ comes again. But how do we do it practically? That's beautiful, Paul, thank you, but what does it actually look like? He says a couple things. He says, stay awake and self-controlled. In other words, he's saying, you've already been woken up to the lies. You already know that these ways of living don't lead to life and light. They lead to darkness and to distraction and to sleeping and to death. So be vigilant to not get sucked back into it. Be vigilant to remember what the foundation that God has given you, that there's another way of being, and be self-controlled. I don't know about you, but I don't like that one, so let's skip it. Self-control is not a whole lot of fun, is it? And, and most of us kind of go, well, you know, self-controlled, some of the time, maybe. I, I, you know, I'll get better at it someday. Or maybe I'm self-controlled in these parts of my life, but not in these parts of life. Unless, unless you're super structured and totally type A, and then, yes, you're like, yes, self-controlled. Everyone needs to be self-controlled. The world would be a better place if there was just a lot more self-control. You know, but it doesn't seem like much fun, does it? It seems like a whole lot of drudgery. Ugh, that, really? This is how we're supposed to live in the waiting? Stay awake and self-controlled. Boring. And it is if we're living that way only in order to avoid judgment. If we're living that way only to, you know, prove that we are standing in the light, then really it's just duty and obligation. And, you know, it's like you you study for the test only because the test is coming. (laughs) Believe me, I know all about that. Right? It's not because you love what you're learning about. It's not to be filled up with a whole you know, subject matter that can enhance your life, that can be used for the benefit of others. It's simply because there's a test coming, I better study for it so I get the grade. And that isn't very fun, is it? But if you are in love with the subject, if you want to learn everything you can about it, if you want to be immersed in it, then you don't study for the test. You study to be filled up with the joy of the knowledge of it. And Paul's saying, yes, that's what it looks like to live in the light. Not as drudgery in order to avoid judgment on the day the Lord comes, but to be filled with the joy and the hope and the love and the peace that is from Jesus Christ. This life living in the light, awake and self-controlled is motivated by this incredible desire to live in the light of Jesus Christ, connected to him, in relationship with him. And that's why Paul says, hey, the motivation isn't just avoidance, it's actually because you, he said this, God is himself, has destined you not for wrath, not for judgment, and so you don't just have to avoid that, but he's, just, he's destined you to receive salvation, deliverance. And when we live from that place, we're filled with gratitude and hope and joy. So being aware, alert, awake, and even self-controlled is so that we can stay in the warmth of the light of Jesus Christ every day. The warmth of the love of a God who would give his only son for us to claim us out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the tendency to live as if we are God, out of this whole Kool-Aid of the culture so that we could be brought into the kingdom of light of the son of God. Man, changes everything. And Paul, I think in this passage is kind of saying, hey, don't wait until the end of life to get this figured out. Get ready now. Be ready now. We don't know when the day is coming. Life is short. And so get out of the darkness into the light today. And so is our hope in eternity because of what God did through Jesus Christ? Or is it on our good deeds, on our ability to be self-controlled and disciplined, to get out of ourselves out of the darkness into the light? Or do we realize we have been plucked through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ We have been rescued by Him, pulled from the darkness, even though we may have been trying to hold on to the darkness, dragged into the beauty of His light, His love, and His grace. Get ready now, before the day of the Lord comes. We had a house in Seattle, and when we lived there for a while, and we had a creek that ran through, I mean, I called it a creek, it was more more like a kind of flood zone, but that's all right, it was a creek, (laughs) because... Because it did actually have water, like, all year. So, I mean, I, I felt like we could call it a creek. But I remember the first day we got heavy, heavy rain. And if you didn't, hadn't heard it, it rains in Seattle sometimes. So, we got heavy, heavy rain. And I remember looking out through the windows at the creek and going, oh, wow, that's so cool. Look at it. It's, it's growing. And then it, then it was like, oh, look, it's growing. <laughs> it's, and it's still growing. And, and it started to actually breach the banks, and the water, you know, as I saw it growing and growing, I was like, I, we better do something about this. So I'm like calling the city, what do we do? And they have, they had sandbags. And so I'm driving in my car over that, trying to load sandbags into my car. I mean, it is just pounding rain. It's a Sunday morning and it's just, okay, I got to get this done. And so I'm putting out sandbags all along the house, trying, hopefully watching the water start to breach the side of the creek. And, you know, hopefully that'll divert away from the house. And, you know, ultimately it did come to the sandbags and get pushed away. But I was like, oh my goodness, what do I do? I can't live this way every time it rains. This is not going to work. And so what I did, I learned actually from a neighbor who had experience doing this, we actually built up the the creek bed and and built a berm into it. And we filled burlap bags with sand, probably 10,000 pounds of sand, maybe more, and we built it up all along the curve that was near the house, and I'd lay a a row of sandbags, and then we put these dogwood saplings, and then we'd do another one, and and these saplings actually grew right through the sand, and then it would create this incredible web of of roots that would build up the whole berm and and would redirect the creek. I gotta tell you, so we did this, and, and then the next time it rained, I'm nervously sitting inside. You know, is it gonna work? Is it gonna happen? And it did, it worked even though it had rained hard and, and the creek did swell and it, it had gotten up to the same height that it had been before and I was like, yes. And so you can imagine that the time after that and from every time there on, there was this incredible relief, gratitude and joy that I wasn't having to worry about it any longer. And that's the invitation Paul is making to us. Don't worry about the day of the Lord when you get there Pulling out the sandbags every time, that doesn't work. Get ready now is our heart, is our soul, is our life in the light of Jesus Christ today and every day. We're gonna wait. Paul saying, be ready. Put on the hope of the salvation, the helmet of hope, of salvation. This incredible gift of God pulling us out of the darkness into his glorious light. And shine. Shine as the children of light in the midst of a world that is consumed in darkness. Shine. Be alert, be awake, be self controlled. Love one another deeply, Paul says. Put on the breastplate of faith and love literally, brotherly love. I mean, I've seen it this week. I, what a joy and a gift to be a part of this part of Jesus' family that is PCTR. I've seen your love for one another on display. I've seen your love. Paul has seen their love. and He said, keep grow- going and keep growing in it. Live as the children of light. And live. What do we do in the waiting? We live. And I know it's been hard for the last two years. I feel like we're really living in the midst of this pandemic. But I think God is saying to us now and today it is time to live. Children of the light, it is time to live. No longer in the darkness of fear, no longer in the darkness of false security, no longer in the darkness of all the ways of the status quo, but to fully live in the light of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to shine brightly in the midst of the darkness because, man, I don't know about you, but I know tons of people who are being swallowed by the darkness of fear, being swallowed up. By the darkness of living as their own God, being swallowed up by the darkness of despair, anxiety, hopelessness. There are so many people who need the light of Jesus Christ, and we, we are the children of that light. And so, as we wait for the day when Jesus will come and he will make all things right, how are we to live? We're to live as children of light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you didn't have to claim us out of the darkness that each and every one of us has lived in. You didn't have to send your son, the light of the world, into the darkness to claim us and redeem us, and you did. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, that you have destined us not for wrath and judgment, but for salvation through him as he gave his life for ours so that we could truly live. Thank you that you have claimed us out of the kingdoms of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your glorious light. And may we live, Lord, as children of the light, not going along with the status quo, not being sucked back into the ways of darkness not being those who are consumed with fear and insecurity, but as those who are filled to overflowing with the joy of knowing that we are loved, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord God, will you lead us boldly, courageously to shine as the light in the darkness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Thank you.